Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. Carter McKenzie here with my co-host, Bobby McCready, who's uh, back from his long, arduous journey of back-to-back-to-back baseball games these past three nights. How, how are the Mets doing, Bobby? Yeah, we're out of it now. So thanks for uh, bringing that up on, on air and just really he adding some salt to that wound for me there. Just you know, nothing's better than driving three hours into the city, sitting in traffic, getting home at three o'clock in the morning, then doing it again the next day and the next day just to watch your team lose. So if you're a Braves fan, fuck you. Perry. Uh, yeah, I'm sure tickets were probably at roughly the same price as what you could have gone access deer hunting with uh, Carter. There. 100% what I said. I could have just saved my money and just went on a nice deer hunt. Instead, I just hunted hot dogs for $18. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Tube steaks. That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. Sports are overrated. Sports are overrated. Nah. Go hunt. Go hunt more often. Yep. But sweet. And uh, joined again by a familiar Colorado resident, Garrett. What's up, man? Good to have you back. Good to be back. Thanks for having me back on with y'all. Yeah, of course, man. Anytime. And, uh, you know, we'll have to check in and see how your season's going so far. And, you know, more importantly, Garrett has connected us with our guest that we uh, have joining us tonight. we got Joe Bradley coming at us from the great state of Colorado. And, uh, Joe, I'll let you I'll let you tell a little bit about yourself, but I, I want to brag that, you know, you are the youngest person to complete the Colorado Big 8 with a homemade bow. Is that accurate? You know what? Um, I am uh, I'm now number two. My, my record was broken two years ago by a really good bow hunter, Justin Davis. Um, it was actually the Big 9, the Big 9. I took a, a, a moose in Colorado here that... I was uh, 34 years old when that happened, and Justin Davis was 33. So um, records are made, meant to be broken. I uh, I held the title for a second. Heck so. yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, that's still unbelievably <laughs> impressive uh, hunting resume that you got there, man. Appreciate it, guys. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, excited to talk to you and. You know, Garrett was sharing some pictures and I was reading some articles about you, man, and you've kind of been been fortunate enough to chase a lot of these critters that a lot of us non-residents get to dream about. So that's that's really awesome, man. Yeah, um, Colorado offers a lot of opportunities. Uh, we got 10 big game species here. Um, they uh, they do a pretty good job with, uh, with keeping the herds healthy. Uh, tag, tag allotment is becoming little bit more of an issue with point creep and uh the number of hunters but um i'm like you i go to other states and faraway lands to chase animals i love so i call colorado home but um i hunt everywhere heck yeah that's awesome well why don't we start from the beginning here joe why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of who you are your background you know and and where you where you grew up um i'm i'm actually uh, i was born in iowa so I grew, I grew up in the heart of the, uh, the whitetail hardwoods. Um, I was spoiled as a kid with pheasants and quail and rabbits and turkeys and, and, uh, and deer. And um, <clears throat> I've missed some absolutely enormous whitetails at embarrassingly close distances. Um, and moving out here, uh, you know, the whitetail hunting is a lot different. We've got a lot, a lot bigger cottonwood river bottoms. Um, that are a little bit easier to read, but um, uh, just offer the same type of uh, challenge. Just a little bit different with the same species. Um, grew grew up in Iowa. Moved out here when we were uh, when when I was was uh, adolescent, nine ten years old. Um, my dad kind of got me into bow hunting. He was he's a diehard, um, very elite, uh, traditional only um, wood, wood arrows. Um, 
wood bows, never picked up a compound in his life. Um, taught me the ways, you know, kind of into the Native American arts, the Native American way of living, um, the respect for the animals, the spiritual side of it, um, eating your own, your own kill, uh, the honor, um, honor for the memory, the, the sorrow and the regret that comes with the kill, as well as the, the appreciation and, uh, you know, the opportunity to hunt again. So uh, he really instilled those, those beliefs in me. And, uh, I'm doing the same with my boys. Um, he was a good mentor. Um, we do a lot of hunting. We still do. Um, I do everything I can to, to make him proud and, uh, and just kind of, um, elevate his hunting prowess as well. Yeah. I think that's a sentiment that, you know, a lot of us listeners, you know, can relate to, um, that mentor figure who kind of introduced us to the outdoors and, you know, it's really important. I think, you know, sometimes we can, it's very easy for hunting to catch a negative light, uh, especially towards people who are not hunters and maybe don't understand. And so it's that much more important to have someone who's, you know, the correct mentor and introducing things the right way and talking about that honor and talking about that respect and talking about doing it the, the correct way. Like you just explained, that's of the utmost importance. And it's pretty cool that you get to pass it on to your boys now. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I, I'm the same way, just recurves and, and longbows that I make myself. Um, but I, I really judge a hunter by how he hunts, not what he hunts with. Um, I know some rifle hunters that are just amazing hunters, some compound guys that I would share a camp with anywhere. And, you know, and there's guys that hunt with a slingshot I wouldn't want to drive across the parking lot with. So, um, you know, the, the way people hunt and the dedication and their attitude towards it, especially the respect for the animals, is really important to me. Um, so... I'm not one of those elitists that pound the table and say you should do it the way the Indians do. I, I see uh, strength in numbers when uh, when the ballot initiatives show up and legislative uh, efforts try to take hunting rights away from us. Um, there's strength in numbers, and I need everyone, you know. So I I don't want to I don't want to come across as uh, you know as narrow minded. Um, I just I choose to limit myself, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a really respectable thing to do. And, you know, like you said, the strength in numbers is really important. You know, uh, this this is what we talked about a little bit with, with Henry. We kind of got into that. Henry Ferguson, um, who's a fellow acquaintance of yours, you know, there there's strength in numbers. And it, it really is only going to work if everybody's pulling in the same direction to try and accomplish. Uh, he, he works a lot with the legislation side of things, you know, at, at the state level and that's really important. Everybody pulling in the same direction and not, not splitting and, and dividing amongst hunters ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's cool, man. So I got, I have like a million questions about making your own bows, man. Uh, where do you even, uh, where do you even start with that? How did you, where do you start? How do you even start to explain that to someone like me? Well, I'm a carpenter by trade. Um, I've worked as a, uh, a trim carpenter and a furniture maker for uh, for most of my adult life. And I just, you know, I was sitting in a tree in a bear hunt. And it's one of those hunts that wasn't very, uh, not a whole lot of action. And <clears throat> I just had my bow in my hands and I was just picking it apart. And I just, uh, I was kind of ashamed of myself. I'm like, why haven't I made one of these yet? Like, I'm just looking at it piece by piece. And I'm like, man, I can do this. And I just... I just learned a little bit about it. Um, there's uh, certain woods you can't use. Uh, most of the bows I make are uh, African or, or South American exotics. Um, there's a lot of oil in the wood, and they're very, very heavy. Um, there's some science behind it. You know, every every millimeter, every angle, um, every width is uh, is is. Uh, calibrated to poundage and spine weight and uh, the tailor of the bow. And um, that was the hard part. You know, I made a lot of bows that were bad before I made a couple that were good. Um, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I feel like making my own bows, you know, I have a relationship with my bow. You can't go buy this exact same bow off the shelf. Like, uh, like you could a compound or something else. Uh, I just, uh, 
every tree is different. Um, every bow shoots different. There's a sweet spot in every single one of them. It's hard to find. Um, I made uh, three bows for myself. I made two for a couple guys. Um, I, I, I love it. Um, I see a block of wood and, you know, I just know there's a bow there inside of it. It's kind of cool. Down here in the South, when you hear people talk about making bows, Osage orange is, is thrown around a lot. Is that a wood you're familiar oh. with? Yeah. You know, um, we had a lot of Osage orange trees back in Iowa. And so my very first bow, I wanted to, uh, pay as an homage to, uh, the way I grew up. Um, so I actually did a, a double Osage inlay on a leopard wood riser. Um, and, uh, that was, that bow is retired now. Um, but it has been everywhere. I shot so many animals with it. The very last arrow that ever left that bow, um, was at a Canadian moose in Northern Alberta. Um, one of my favorite hunts. And, uh, as, as soon as I came home, I hung that bow up on the, on the wall and never shot it again. Um, but yeah, I do have a Osage. Osage is a, um, it's, it's a very, um, dense wood uh the sapwood aspects of the of the osage is uh kind of leak through the grain and i was actually allergic to it i didn't know that until mm. i made the bow mm. i ended up getting uh blisters in around my nose and my eyes but uh Jeez. i just dealt with it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and kept making it and I, I loved it that that bow shot great it's still uh still on my wall to this day and if my house burns down i'll probably get my kids out and then come back and grab that bow how do you how do you determine when it's time to hang up a bow joe uh that's a really good question man i don't know my my dad's done it his whole life too just all of a sudden he just it just uh it doesn't it doesn't hang on his rack anymore it hangs on the wall and then he has another one um you know i've 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 uh I've retired three bows now, and they're all for different reasons. Um, two of them were after epic hunts that was never going to happen. You know, I, I get talked into hiring a guide or using a rifle or making it easier on myself and uh, stubbornness or, or whatever you want to call it. I just I just don't. And um, those successful hunts mean a lot to me. And then uh, the latest one actually had a crack in it. And I just didn't trust it. And it kind of gave me a reason to make a new one. So what, uh, what draw weight are you typically making these at? Um, anywhere between 63 and 58. Um, I'm not great at getting that poundage exactly where I want. I'm always shooting for 60 and I'm always either North or South of that number. Um, I shoot them the same. I don't notice a difference. You know, um, I feel like the arrow is more important than the bow. I make my own arrows. I spend a lot of time on them. I make arrows for other people too. Um, the arrow is a little bit more of a, uh, direct science for me. I can really get an arrow exactly the way I want it, where a bow just ends up good. What, uh, what kind of tools are you using? Like what's your most used tool when you're putting together Let's start with the bow. What are you carpenter tools of the trade here? I got an oscillating spindle sander that I love. It, um, you know, it as it's rotating, it moves up and down, and it keeps it uh, ninety degrees to the to the shelf of the table. Um, you can really, uh, it's really important to be square on your limbs coming off the bow. I make uh, takedown riser with uh with uh takedown limbs and it's really important to that those that those limbs line up together that tool definitely helps um the the bandsaw um orbital sander all that stuff all, all the handwork um at the end is really important but that's just me just putting a lot of weight into it um mm. the oscillating spinners uh oscillating spindle sanders definitely uh you have to have it absolutely have to have it i've never I'm like really intrigued right now. I've never created anything that I've used like to hunt with, uh, which like now has my wheels turning and like, how can I bridge that gap there? And I can, I totally understand the draw. Um, Cause I feel like it's not that far away from the step to like why people get into hunting. If you didn't grow up 
doing it because I, I didn't grow up doing it. I started when I was in college. Um, and that step to like taking more responsibility for your food and, you know, the adventure and everything that goes with that. Uh, it's, it's not hard for me to understand, like if I had the skills to take the next step to make a bow. So like, what is that? How would you explain like that relationship to like, this is the, like the, the weapon that you're carrying with you through the woods is something that you spent untold number of hours creating and like everything, like your success is going to hinge upon the success of that tool when it's, when it's game time, like it's significant to use an insignificant word. Yeah, to man, uh, you know, that's, that's a, that's a good observation. Um, it comes out of trust. I mean, I, I take that one bow, uh, thousands of miles on an airplane to Alaska or, or the North pole or down to Mexico and it, it, it has to execute, right? And so there's so many hours in the backyard or in my shop tuning and uh, just fine-tuning and just tinkering with stuff just to make sure that what if, you know, I always have a backup bow with me, but I never really feel like I need it. Um, I just, uh, I'm almost obsessed with it to the point to where um, uh I can't sleep. I'll wake up at one o'clock in the morning because there's a ridge, you know, I, I put it to bed and there's a ridge on my thumb that, uh, I just, I, I got to grind down or I'll have a, uh, uh, the very first bow I made, I made an oven for a homemade oven. Cause you have to bake the limbs when you, uh, set the epoxy. And I was afraid that I was going to burn my house down. So I slept next to it. Um, I just slept on the floor of my shop next to this oven because it was on all night and I just felt like it was uh, just not a safe thing and there's a bunch of uh, you know uh, fumes and sawdust and uh, the shop is full of uh, very flammable uh, items and it's just one of those things that you just I don't know I just uh, I'm obsessed with it man I I carry my bow miles and never draw it back like all of us do I mean there's so much time devoted to bow hunting, um, you know, you, you spend hours upon hours hunting and it really comes down to like a special two minutes of a season. You know what I mean? And, uh, uh there's just a relationship. It's a, it's a friend, you know, I look at it in the tree stand, I carry it, you know, I drop it. I, I, you know, I've, uh, there's chips in it, there's gouges in it, there's scratches in it. I love all of it. It's just, uh, it's a friend, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot more sense in my head because I understand the personal connection to it. Because like I love my rifle, like I love that thing, right? I carry that thing everywhere, uh, bang it on a bunch of trees and carry it up and down mountains and through hell holes and nasty stuff. And but I didn't make that rifle, right? Like, I, you know, it's 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 not lost on me the relationship that you must have with with these bows. It is like a friend is a perfect way to explain that. That makes total sense to me and i like i'm a bit i'm a i'm curious and i'm a bit envious like i kind of want that like like i really want that that's cool that's so cool because like when it comes down to those two minutes that you're talking about right that every hunt inevitably comes down to or sometimes it's like 30 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever like garrett you were talking before we pressed record like that that elk came out and you didn't have a arrow knocked like it's it's like either it's there or it's not sometimes like if there is a point of failure, you created that tool, Joe. Yeah. 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 Um, I always have a plan B. Um, but I, like I said, you know, I think especially on a, on a wilderness hunt or uh, something that cr- requires a lot of travel, um, a backyard hunt, it, you know, you grab the bow and your boots and go. But <clears throat> something that requires a little bit more planning and execution, um, I always have a backup plan, but I've never needed it. I've... I've had to uh, use replacement strings. I've fixed things on bows or uh, or tinkered with stuff. You know, if I'm if um if I'm hunting hard, that bow gets beat up, and it's just part of it. I mean, it's just it's part of it. I mean, when it leaves my shop, it's beautiful. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. It has to be. I won't allow it not to be perfect. But after one season, it's trashed. Just and after up. 10 seasons, I mean, it's, it doesn't even look like the same bow. And, 
and I love it. I love the I love the blood stains. I love the sap. I love the the gouges and the nicks and uh, just just the memories. You know, it's just <clears throat> it's an inanimate ob- object, but it sure. it just mean it just means a lot to me. I guess you know it's 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 different taking an animal with something you you created in your shop six months ago. Yeah, that's so cool, man. That's that's beautiful. It's like poetic in the world of in the world of hunting, which is is kind of cool to, to bridge that gap there. Now, what do you what are you making your string? Do you make your own strings? Do you uh, how do you how do you handle that? Um, I have a buddy in Iowa that makes strings for me. Um, he's showed me a few times. Uh, they're they're B fifty Flemish strings. We make our own. Um, he makes them. Uh, he makes them for me and sends them to me. Um, I've made them before. Uh, I trust. I trust. Uh, this uh, we got a shop here at Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. Um, in Denver, I don't know if you guys have ever been. Um, amazing shop, Tom Clum and the guys down there uh, take care of me. Their uh, their shop, uh, they make their own strings there. Their their, their strings are great. Um, <clears throat> I do my own. Uh, I'll do my own puffs uh, out of um, uh, bear hide. You know, I, I love hunting bears. Uh, I've shot a lot of bears, and so I got a, a couple tanned hides laying around. Um, so I'll make. Uh, uh, puff balls for the strings. Um, like I said, I make my own arrows. Um, uh, just the, the, the whole operation is, is, is pretty much 90% handmade. Um, broadheads are a different story. So what do you run for broadheads? Um, I've shot every animal I've ever taken with a Zwicky broadhead. Okay. The, the the big uh, black diamonds wiki two blades they're just I'm not going to change if it if if it if it works um, you know there's so many options out there and I, I'll never switch you know this is this isn't a plug for Zwicky at all I just I won't shoot anything else I just um, whether it's moose or bighorn sheep or elk or rabbits it, it's going to be a Zwicky but if they're listening. It could be. <laughs> if they're listening, <laughs> if they're listening, let's see some logos on uh, Hunt, Lift, Eat. <laughs> yeah, there's a plug from the man himself. Well, you have a lot of data points to uh, your 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 thumbs up carries a lot of weight in this realm. I would say so. That's that's cool that you know that's your your go to gear for that because I feel like I switch. Dude, I switch. I don't know if anybody else does this. I feel like I switch broadheads every damn season. I'm just like never perfectly happy. I'm never perfectly happy. Always. Hunting's one of those things that you're always thinking about. Like it's 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 twelve months a year, three sixty five. I uh I'm always messing with gear. Always. And um always thinking about different different uh solutions, different tactics. Um Gear, you know, uh, broadheads, camouflage, boots, um, shooting equipment. It's all, you know, but at the end of the day, like, I just grab my boots and grab my bow and go hunting. I think there's just so many gimmicks out there. I mean, my best hunts are so simple. Like, just keeping it simple makes me such a better hunter. And uh, I just, I don't know if you guys are that way, but um, if if I'm down to day three on a 10-day hunt... Um, I'm taking what I know, my, my, my lucky shirt, my, uh, my, my, you know, a picture of my kids and my fanny pack and my favorite, uh, my favorite arrow, my favorite bow, my favorite, my favorite hat, my favorite, uh, gators, whatever it is, you know, everybody's got that superstition, you know, I'm not superstitious at all until it comes to hunting and I am very superstitious with hunting. I don't know if you guys are the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> now you talk about your favorite bow, your favorite hat, and your favorite gear. What's your favorite hunt? Taking all your favorite gear with you. Oh man, there's got to so be one hard. that's that's so memorable. You know what, man? I'm so lucky. I I've hunted all over the place. Um, I don't go on a lot of guided hunts. I do most of it myself. Um, I just went to Alaska. I went to Kodiak Island. That was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And that was a dream hunt of mine that I've been thinking about for years. And you know what? It didn't turn out to be a dream hunt. It was really hard. 
Um, but there's something about being in Alaska, carrying your bow. Um, I mean, I grew up listening to stories about Fred Bear and, uh, and, uh, all the Alaska, all the Alaska folklore, you know, I mean the true, true wildest place on earth. Um, that was a fun hunt just because it was a bucket list thing for me. Um, and you know, I, I, I want to go back to Alaska, whether I'm hunting caribou or I'm hunting bears, whatever it is, I want to go back to Alaska. But that was, that was something that uh, I planned for, saved up for and, uh, stepping on that beach for the first time was a, was a bucket list thing for me for sure. Were you hunting grizzlies? No, we were hunting deer. Oh, uh, nice. I, that's, that's my dream hunt too. That's, yeah, what, that's sick, what I want to do. The sick of black tail yeah, deer. It, it was great. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool, man. And then, you know, dreams are coming um, together. Yeah. <laughs> well, he just said it was super fucking hard. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah man. It, it was hard just because, uh, you know what? Um, I'm in pretty good shape and it kicked my, it kicked my ass. Um, but I love that. I mean, I've been on sheep hunts and goat hunts right. and same thing. And there's something about laying in your tent at night when you got shin splints and your your legs won't stop wobbling and you're eating a mountain house meal and you can't wait for tomorrow. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's the best. It's the best. And, and uh, it's the best. yeah, it is the best. I mean, there's there's something about there's something about just enjoying the the hard parts that make the best parts so much better, man. Like that that hunt was uh, like I said, it wasn't you know the <clears throat> the deer weren't behaving the way we thought they would um the 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 terrain was harder the 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 weather was tough um and uh, i miss it you know it was miserable it was miserable for a couple days and (laughs) when i and now i'm sitting here you know in the comfort of my own home and i'd give anything to be cold and wet again hell yeah yeah we we was having that feeling the other day just just like spending all the days in the back country from archery season here during September, just this year, I was laying in bed the other night and I was like, kind of over being in bed right now. I'd rather be on an air, like kind of rather be on my air mattress in the back country. Cause I got so used to that this September that sleep hasn't really been the same at home since. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking our language here. This is, I mean, that's kind of like what this company was built around. It's like, like-minded folks who enjoy miserable situations and <laughs> it makes the highs even higher afterwards, you know? It absolutely does. Um, you know, when I came back, I, I did, uh, I did take a deer on the, on the Island. Um, just a, just a huge, uh, accomplishment just in itself. And then <clears throat> I kind of got selfish and I immediately started planning an uh, Arizona coos deer hunt. With just to, bow? yeah, Man. just to, just to keep going. And, and, uh, <clears throat> I just heard from so many people how hard they are, how cagey they are. I mean, uh, you know, white tails are on pins and needles anyways, but these deer are next level. And, uh, I did shoot probably the smallest coos deer buck in history with, <laughs> uh, with my recurve and, uh, really proud of that deer. Um, shot a javelina the next day um and uh and so now i'm on to to colombian blacktail so if if any any of you boys got a opening in summer of july 2024 i'm looking for a for someone to carry my baggage to the airport (laughs) i'm great at that that's right up my alley man (laughs) (laughs) yeah count me in for that where uh where do you get to go do that um, I've decided I'm, I'm going to go to Northern California, Southern, uh, Oregon, right on the, right on the border there. See if, uh, nice. I just, I really like hunting new species. There's something about, um, planning a hunt for an animal you've never drawn back on that. I just love, um, I don't, uh, I don't get to do that often. COVID kind of messed up a lot of my hunts and it pushed them all to like the same bunch you know what I mean? So I like to go on a on a big hunt every two years, and uh, COVID kind of ruined those plans and, and bounced stuff around. So I went on a lot right away. Um, mm-hmm. I'm leaving in March for a muskox hunt oh, in so uh, cool. negative forty degree weather on a dog sled. So 
We're going to find out if that homemade bow can survive the frigid cold. But um, uh, these hunts, you know, I, you know, I, I, I pay for them by myself. I book them years in advance. Um, I don't have a lot of money. I just, um, I just have to do this. And so I figure it out, you know, yeah. um, if I could give kidneys and plasma and, uh, I don't know what, whatever it takes. I got a lemonade stand on the corner of my neighborhood here. I, I, I'll do what I can <laughs> to go hunt something different, you know? So, um, so that's going to be a big one. Um, some of my best buddies are going up there with me and, and, uh, it sounds like a good idea in uh, you know, 65 degree office in my house, but when it's negative 40 and I'm underneath a caribou hide and some seal skin, I'll probably hate myself. <laughs> That's going to like, got to so be. So for that hunt, are you like, are you, uh, are you building like a, you have to be building like a special arrow just for that, just to go shoot a musk ox with. Right? So, um, I've talked to a lot of guys that have done the hunt. I mean, there's not a lot of guys that have done the hunt, but the ones I've talked to gave me some good advice. Um, the biggest one I took from it was don't thaw out your bow, leave it outside, let it be frozen for days because that's when you get breakage, you know, the freeze, thaw, freeze, thaw. Um, uh, and then, um, uh, I'll, I'll have a backup bow with me. Um, but I'm really, I'm really excited, man. I mean, it's, it's such a prehistoric animal and such a, a temperate climate that's, you know, uh, it's dangerous, you know? I mean, if you, if you get one, if you're lucky enough to get one and you get it down, you got about an hour to work on it before it's frozen solid. And, uh, it's just, it's just one of those hunts that, you know, I just, I've always, you know, I just, um, something as a kid, you know, it's like a superhero or a faraway land that's not achievable. And now as an adult, I just, I can't believe I'm going, you know what I mean? And when I step off that plane and put my gear onto a dog sled and get bounced around for six hours heading north, I'm probably going to regret that, but I'm looking forward to it, man. Um, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be quite an adventure. I, I'm, I'm really big on adventure. Um, you know, uh, been in, <clears throat> been on plenty of hunts that created some, some weird atmosphere. Uh, so it kind of tells you what your makeup is as a man. Um, on a Canadian hunt, uh, I had a, a gentleman go down in a swamp and uh, had a heart attack and, and had to stay with him and keep him alive until Flight for Life came. Um, been in wicked lightning storms, uh, landslides on avalanche chutes. Um, been uh, chased up trees by bears, <laughs> and I mean, I—I'll I, be honest with you guys, I love it. Like, I just love, like, I just feel so alive when that stuff makes you so scared. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and there's times where I look at my bow and I look at I'm just like, I just want to go home and see my kids. This, I mean, what am I doing this for? An, an antelope for you know, or you know, like these 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 uh high country muleys just aren't that cool anymore. I don't, I just want to go home, you know, but, but then, uh, then you wake up in your tent and you got, you got new legs. And, uh, makes it easy to get out of your sleeping bag. Absolutely. What, uh, do you, you do most of these solo Joe? Um, you know what? I think, you know, my dad says the best hunting is something you do by yourself with people. Um, sure. And so I, I like, I prefer to hunt alone. Um, the successes are mine. The mistakes are mine. The decisions are mine, but I don't like to be in camp alone. You know, I like someone to check up on, help out if they got an animal down, um, talk to, eat with. Um, so I do a lot of hunts with people, but I hunt by myself. I have done plenty of solo hunts and, um, those are tough. Um, I did a nine day sheep hunt by myself. Um, you know, you, you're kind of shocked by your own voice. You know, if you moan or you grunt or you cough, or you forget what a human voice sounds like. It's kind of weird, you know, on day five yeah. or six. Um, and then the first thing you do, you know, I hate to say it on this podcast, but you know, I'll, I'll go, 
I'll go into town somewhere after nine days of just wrecking my body and I'll just crush some fast food. I'll just, the first place I can find, I will crush some fast food, like 4,000 calories in one meal. Yeah. You know, and totally regret it. Totally regret it. But it's just like, like it's all you can think about when you're cold and wet and hungry in your sleeping bag. And, um, yeah, I've done plenty of solo hunts that, um, I prefer to hunt with someone, but, uh, the actual execution of the hunt is by myself. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. We, Bobby and I had a really cool conversation with a guy who was archery hunting in, in Montana uh, two weeks ago. We, we got to talk to him last week, and he was successful. But he, he made this really good point. He was with a hunting buddy, and they were just getting their asses kicked. And he kind of talked about the importance of kind of the mental aspect. Like you said, you, like you really learned kind of what you're made of when you're on these hunts. And, uh, you know, I've never been sheep hunting. I've never been mountain goat hunting but you know i would love to and i will one day i know that's a different level than what i have done but like what would you say about the importance of you know the mental aspect or that's why i asked like do you have somebody with you like have you ever had someone like i've, I've had my ass kicked and i've had a buddy kind of pull me out of a funk and be like buddy like we're here we're hunting we're in the we're in the bighorn mountains like what are you doing what are you moping about like well, let's go let's roll yeah. uh Surely you've been in plenty of situations like that. Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, the, the mental aspect of this stuff is, uh, I mean, you, you can't put enough emphasis on that. Um, I will tell you when you're with someone, it's a lot harder to quit. Mm. Um, when you're by yourself, you can make excuses. Um, you know, you can, uh, you can blame it on the weather or the lack of, uh, animals or whatever. Uh, I've had hunts like that. I've had hunt like that where I just, I had to regroup. Um, but it's good to have a good hunting partner, someone that, uh, you rely on, someone that can save your life if you need to, someone that is, uh, pushing you as much as you're pushing them. Um, I, I feel like finding a good hunting partner is a lot harder than finding a friend. Um, there's just a, uh, a level of, um, understanding and, and, and passion for the same thing that, you know, you, you kind of just you motivate each other. Um, I mean, your, 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 your point is well taken. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely a mental, mental game. Like, man, the hard hunts are the, are the most memorable ones, right? Especially if you're successful. Um, and I, I'm motivated negatively. So, you know, in the gym, uh, especially at home, I got, I got mean sayings written on the ceiling underneath my bench just to make myself do one more or two more. Um, same thing, uh, hiking up a mountain at 4 a.m., trying to get to that knife ridge before the sun comes up or get on that saddle with the wind being right. Um, there's a lot of motivation that, that comes, comes, comes with that, and it's all mental. The owner of this company, Luke, uh, he's on deployment right now. Otherwise, he'd be on this podcast with you. But you two, you remind me of him a lot. You guys would hit it off. But uh, he, as he would say about like finding a hunting partner, uh, he says a lot of folks these days, you know, folks got a lot of quit in them these days. Because uh, he says when he's got a tag in his pocket, that's his only objective. He wants to come back to camp and celebrate and help you cut up your deer and you know, drink a beer and be around the fire. But, uh, that's his objective until he gets his animal down and then he's going to help you, you know, go spot yours or whatever. But it's, it's tough finding a hunting partner because it's a different level than just like, Hey, someone to hang out with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's almost like finding a second wife. (laughs) 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 Um, those tags you're talking about, um, a lot, like when I talk about the sheep hunts and the goat hunts and stuff, those aren't, that's not an outfitted deal. That's, you know, I'm one of the lucky guys that, that have drawn tags in Colorado. And so it's, it's all do it yourself, figure it out on your own. Um, I love that. And you're right. I mean, when you get a tag in the mail that everybody wants and you're on a short list of, of guys that got one when there's thousands that have put in for it and give anything for for your opportunity, it really puts pressure on you. Um, 
it's important not to not to let that pressure define you um you know when i drew my 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 sheep tag here in colorado uh i was one of the the guys everybody hates um i drew it with one weighted point when i wasn't supposed to um in a unit that only gave out two tags and uh everyone told me to uh hire an outfitter use a rifle you know what are you doing this is once in a lifetime you're never going to get one with that stupid piece of wood and uh it kind of just motivated me man i tell you what i i scouted 45 days that summer i scouted um i hunted for 15 and uh I shot a, I just shot a monster ram, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not a trophy hunter, but I put myself in position to take nice animals, and the closest animal, the the closest sheep that I had a chance at, just happened to be the biggest one I've ever seen, and um, there's there's something, especially with the recurve, watching the arc of the arrow hit its mark is like the, it's like the prettiest thing I've ever seen. You know, it's just the moment leading up to that, the intensity, um, all the time, all the pressure, all the money, all the 3 a.m. gas station visits and the the gear that you probably don't need and the advice from friends you don't want to get it from. And then that arrow hits its mark and the world's perfect. You know? For a split second, everything's perfect. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, and and the, but the pressure that comes with those tags, you know, especially you know, back, geez, back in the day in the '80s in Colorado, you could hunt sheep every year. You buy it at, you know, you buy it at the at the convenience store and hunt hunt sheep, and just don't get one because they're too hard. Well, now, you know. It's uh, it's like winning the lottery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be in my late fifties, if I ever draw, if I mean, and that's if point creep is not addressed, like best case scenario, I'll be in my late fifties, you know, it could right. be never, you know, right. It's wild. This is a covered, is it a cut? It, it is a coveted piece of paper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm affiliated with the CBA. I know you guys talked to Henry Ferguson. He's a, he's a president. Um, I'm the, uh, I'm the big game chairman. So I which is a the, badass title. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Sick. I need to get some. I need to get some business cards made. Um, yeah. No, they uh, they um, they asked me to they asked me to take on the role of big game chairman. Um, so I'm 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 solely uh, invested in just making the the banquet uh, the, the display for the banquet shine. Um, Last year was my first year doing it. We had all ten species representative. Uh, we had um, we had top three in every category, and uh, we had uh, just a beautiful display. Um, the CBA does a great, great job of. Uh, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't see. You know, during all the division of wildlife meetings, um, when uh, when the ballot initiatives hit the state capitol, you know, they're out there fighting the good fight for us. Um, they, uh, they don't get enough credit for that. You know, Henry Ferguson himself is a really big part of that. Um, it's someone that, uh, I have a lot of respect for. Um, you know, the CB, CBA in general, uh, they just, they do a good job of just, uh, promoting, you know, what we love, you know, this is something that, you know, is, is getting harder for us and, you know, uh, they're trying to take it away from us in some aspects and, and, uh, the CBA has always been been a strong player in fighting for us, so I'm glad to be a part of that. Yeah, that's that's a it's a noble cause and a fantastic organization. And you know, you you may be proud to know you have a a new Georgia member of the Colorado Bow Hunters Association. After I talked with, I, I found Henry to be a compelling uh, spokesperson for the organization. So I was like, hey, I'll sign up, buddy. You got my Good, you got my Good. vote. Yeah, you that's awesome. Vote. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, cool. I write I write articles for them. Um, I have a I have a monthly I have a column in every in every issue. The magazines really come a long way. They're doing a really good job with it. Um, uh, they just they they uh, they're, they're turning the organization into something that it used to be. Um, when I was a kid, we used to go to those banquets, and uh, man, the display you see you see animals that that you, you don't get to see in the wild. You know, 
um, the top three elk shot by CBA members on the wall or, or big mule deer, you know, Henry's, <clears throat> Henry's no, uh, no slouch in the mule deer department. Um, He's obsessed. but we, uh, you know, I mean, we, we've really done a good job of making the banquet shine, you know, it's in March this year, right before I leave for that muskox hunt. And so I'll be having my, my work cut out for me, but, um, we, uh, it, it, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's something I love. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys being members, man. It's important, or at least uh, all the way yeah, down in Georgia. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, fantastic organization. I'd like to take this time actually to to tell everybody pretty much if you plan on hunting Colorado and during bow season, you need to you need to be a CBA member. Yeah, you know, there, it's a lot more than just it's it's yeah, important. It's so much more than a bumper sticker on your truck and and a magazine in your mailbox, man. It really is like they. Uh, you know the the membership is is very cheap. It's it doesn't it doesn't cost you know hardly anything what what they actually do for us and and the banquet itself. I mean we got some we got some legends in bow hunting in Colorado and we got some guys that have taken all twenty nine species. We got guys that have hunted all over all over the world. You know um, high up in the Pope and Young uh, affiliation. Um, and so I'm I'm happy to be a part of it. Part of the part of the duties that I uh, that I have as a big game chairman is uh, just helping with that um, that display and making sure the banquet goes right. But uh, I'm also a Pope and Young measurer. I'm an official measurer hmm. for Pope and Young, and so <clears throat> I measure a lot of animals for the for the CBA as far as the, the awards recognition and and taking care of that. And and I, I wanna I wanna preface the words award. You know what I mean? It's not the reason we do this stuff. I mean, the small ones are just as hard as the big ones. You guys probably know. I mean, uh, uh, a lead doe of a, a whitetail herd with a Roman nose is smarter than any any buck that, you know, barely gets off his on his feet in, in November when he's chasing them in the rut. Um, the, the word award is very subjective, you know. Um, my favorite hunt of all time is when my son shot a uh, antelope doe. You know, yeah. I've, I've, I've shot some awesome animals. I've been on some amazing hunts and everybody always asks me what my favorite trophy is, you know? And I, I put the finger quotes up when I say trophy <clears throat> because sitting in an antelope blind with a 12 year old, you know, we got our shirts off. We're down to our underwear. Um, Cause it's so hot. Oh yeah, man. hundred degrees. He, that kid, you know, for three days, we hardly saw, we hardly saw anything. Um, but it, it, it really shows you, you know, what, what kind of drive your kids have, you know, and he's asking questions that we take for granted, you know. Um, I remember uh, he asked me, Dad, why does, why does that bird poop in the water that he drinks? It's a and, question. And I thought about it. I'm like, you're right. Why does he do that? You know, and, and you know, why why is that squirrel so mean to that squirrel? You know, yeah. or uh, or my little guy, he's like, uh, he's like, Dad, um, are, are deer good at hills? I'm like, good at hills? What do you mean good at hills? He's like, well, like when I walk up hills, you know, I run out of breath and my legs hurt. And when I go down hills, I go too fast and I can't catch my balance. And, you know, are, are deer good at hills? I'm like, yeah, man, I guess they are. You know what I mean? But they're asking those questions that we take for granted. Like, we forgot that stuff. Everybody's so into, like, inches of horn and and brand recognition and Facebook posts. And, man, we forget what sunrises and sunsets look like. You know what I mean? If you hunt with a kid in a blind or in a tree stand or just drive to a hunting spot in a truck with him, you're going to remember all that stuff and that's the type of stuff that I'm trying to push in the CBA. Cause you know, we talk about awards and top three and you know, this bowl was 343 inches and who cares, who cares, man? Cause there's guys yeah. that are sleeping in a baby sack, freezing their ass off would give anything to have that shot back of that four by four raghorn. They missed the morning before, you know what I mean? And, uh, and that's what I'm about. You know what I mean? Just, I care about how people hunt. Yeah, Joe, that's funny you say that. When we talked to Henry, man, and uh, we were asking him what his favorite trophy was too because behind him he had 
50 to 200 mule deers behind him. And his face was just like yours when he's talking about it. He said, you know what? Out of all these up here, my son's was my favorite one. And that's my most memorable one. And the passion, you could see it. That was, it was, he could, he had all these different animals up there. And he said, that was the one that meant the most to me right there. That's awesome. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Like, like Carter said, he, he didn't start till he was in high school or co- college, he said. Yeah, not till um, college. Yeah, he's but I mean, as kids, man, you take a kid hunting and it's just, you know, you get them off their iPads, you get them out, uh, out in front of these TV screens, you show them what the real world's like, you know, help them change a flat tire, help them get uh, cold toes to the point of tears. You know what I mean? Um, a thermos full of hot chocolate goes a long way on a rabbit hunt for a kid who just wants to go home and, and cry to mommy. You know what I mean? And a lot of these, a lot of these kids these days, are uh you know um it's it's tough man so so there's strength in in like bringing that stuff like henry saying that his 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 kid i mean henry's shot some amazing bucks and to be proud of the one his kid got you know i'm the same way i'm the same way my house you know my house looks like cabela's and um i got an antelope doe tanned hide next to my son's picture and that's I look at it every night before I, I go upstairs to bed, and it's it's the it's the best it's the best one in the house, you know what I mean? And uh, you just, you can't I don't know you, you can't buy that stuff, man. Like those moments, you can't buy them. And that's what hunting does. Yeah, exactly. It, it's yeah. just so cool to see how everyone's got their own memorable hunts, and we always uh, enjoy that. We're so we we're talking about how. Uh how your kids like your moments with your kids were like some of the best moments with you. And for me, that, that really kind of hunting with my dad was always small game. I always did a lot of fishing with him when I was a kid and he sold his rifle. So he had actually shot a moose back in some, sometime in the eighties. And he sold that rifle to buy bows for us when I was 11 or 12 years old. Um, basically long and short of it that's right when i got into sports and i i kind of backed out of the big game hunting and everything at that point and after he died i felt like all of these moments in the woods were was what i cherished the most and i spread my dad's ashes up at up at a point where now i elk hunt every single year um and it's it's just one of those things for me that like i wouldn't have any of those moments if it wasn't for my dad encouraging those in my childhood and i took all of that for so much for granted when i was a kid that like now at 31 the only thing that i ever want to do is call my dad to to see if he would want to go hunting now yeah and sure that's because of all those moments that, that i got to share with him as a kid and your kid may not even know like may not even realize it yet that those are going to be some of the best moments that they'll ever have yeah, it's definitely a, a tradition thing, you know, that, like generation to generation. There's not too many guys like Carter that um, start in college or, or high school, like you said. Like, um, I mean, it's usually a tradition passed down. Um, my dad's now moved to Wisconsin. Um, he doesn't live here anymore. But uh, one of the things they do in that state that I love is, you know, they, they still shut down all the schools statewide for uh, opening day deer season. Whether opening day deer season's on a, a Tuesday or a Thursday, there's no school, and uh, everyone goes hunting with, with their dad or their grandpa. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> there's not too many states like that anymore. But a lot of these, uh, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of the the best hunters have a mentor or someone that showed them, someone that that taught them. Um, uh, learning, you know, in your in your teenage years, like like Carter did, is you know that, that's self motivation, right? Yeah, I don't even know the story, but um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't those, those, uh, cold frozen toes with hot chocolate thermoses and stuff. When you're four or five years old on a rabbit hunt, you're wondering what the hell my dad's doing out here. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but it, it's cool to hear other people talk about their kid successes or, or their wife or their buddy that just picked up a bow last summer, you know, and, and, uh, a little two point mule deer will forever be ingrained as a, as a monster in his life. You know, whether he shoots a thousand of them, but that there's always a first, right? That's, <clears throat> I don't know too many things that can do that. Like hunting does. 
Yeah, now at this point in life, the thing I'm most looking forward to is I have a two-year-old daughter and another one on the way in January is having those two grow up and, and, you know, pursue this wild adventure that we're all obsessed with, with me. That's, that's number one on my mind every single day when I wake up now. And, uh, like I took my daughter down to pull trail cam pictures, uh, yesterday afternoon. And it was like the greatest thing in the world. Did it take 10,000 years? Yeah. Did we have to stop and pick up every single stick and like, you know, pick up some rocks and like, you know, did we fall down and cry a couple times? Like, yeah. And it took a million years. And I just, I just would take a breath and be like, man, this is the best thing in the world. Like, what are you, what are you even talking? Cause I didn't grow up with that. Right. And it's so cool. Like I'm thrilled that they'll get to, or at least have the opportunity should they choose to grow up with that. And that's, that's all I think about. And, you know, something that reminded me of that was in one of the articles I read that you wrote Joe um, for uh, Colorado bow hunters. And one of the, one of the articles that you wrote for Colorado bow hunters that I was reading you know, we were talking about awards earlier and like, you know, how important really are awards. And, and I'm with you, like how many inches of horn, like, does it really, it's not my thing. Um, but one of the awards that y'all do that is really cool is the first timers award that I was reading about. And that was freaking cool. And that's so cool that you guys do that because that's such a Colorado Bowhunters Association is such a high speed organization. And you know, some of the biggest and most beautiful animals are on display at your banquet and like some legitimate hunters come through there. Um, but the, that first timer award was so cool because there were kids and like women who have been introduced to this sport and like moms and like, oh, so cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, one thing I changed about my my position is I put the, the first timer award at the end Um and the reason why is because I didn't want to do the first timers right away. And everybody stands up and everybody's finishing dinner and finishing their drinks and clap for a little bit. <clears throat> and then we get into the big stuff. Um, this year, I moved the first timers to the end. You know, we did uh, uh, the mule deer and antelope and, you know, all the species. Um, I actually <laughs> I actually uh, shot the biggest antelope last year. I, I was number one. I had my son come up and get the award for me instead of me doing it myself because I was presenting and <clears throat> we talked about each one and everybody clapped and the picture was up on the big screen and the mount was on the wall and everybody you know saw the big horns and then <clears throat> I brought all the first timers up and it was great man we had uh three girls three boys and two women there was not a middle-aged man anywhere in the crowd it was just um, you know, and we get that too. Someone that, you know, shoots their very first, uh, you know, 28, 42 years old, doesn't matter. Um, but last year it was three, three little boys, three little girls and two women. And, uh, I got choked up. I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Chicago bears fan. And my favorite player of all time was Walter Payton. And one of his best quotes was, um, uh, if you're good at something, you'll tell everybody, but if you're great, they'll tell you. And I told everybody that quote and I said, you know, look at, look at this group. We've got eight people here, three boys, three girls, two women. There's no, there's no record books. There's no endorsement deals. There's no pro staffers. There's no, uh, you know, magazine covers, right? Like everybody has a first, Everybody remembers it first, you know, and I pointed Nathan Anderson's in the crowd who's taken all 29 species with his, with his longbow and hunted Russia and Africa and New Zealand. And I, I pointed at him and said, Nathan, you can close your eyes right now and remember what underwear you were wearing the day you shot your very first animal, you know, and he laughed. And, and I looked at uh, other guys in the crowd that are, that are uh, well-spoken celebrities of some sort and I said, you know, you remember your first and you remember your first. And so I'm like, everybody get on your feet right now. Like, I want to hear you. And just the place erupted, like, bow hunter, you know, guys have been bow hunting for 60 years, just have a house full of trophies. And people had tears in their eyes. It was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. Um, every one of those kids came up, 
you know, parents were taking pictures. We gave them their plaques. It was, uh, it was a big deal to me. Um, the, 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 the first timer is, is really important because, um, I mean, hunting is getting hard, man. I feel like we're a dying breed and organizations like, like the CBA, um, podcasts like this, your guys' company, like, um, just getting, just, just like showing the good side of hunting. You know, there's, there's too many bad Facebook posts and, and just, just idiots out there that ruin it for us, man. Like you see some of these, some of these people with, you know, uh, pictures in the back of their truck with beer cans all over and the tongue hanging out and blood all over the place. We look like, we look like jerks, you know what I mean? But these kids are so pure and so happy. And like I told you the stories about my son telling me, you know, asking me questions about the birds pooping in their own water and, um, you know, uh, why, why rattlesnakes are so dangerous. And, you know, like we forget all that stuff. Those first timer, uh, stories were just awesome. And, uh, and it is my favorite award. We do it every year. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Cause, cause there's just, you know, they're 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kids. You know, we can hunt big game at 12 years old in Colorado. And so, a lot of these kids that got lucky enough to make it happen, you know, they're, you can see it on their dad's faces, man. I mean, their, their dads are just beaming. Their moms are crying. Grandma and grandpa's there. We had, we had one little girl. She had 13 tickets sold. She had 13 family members there just to watch her get that award. You know, it was just awesome. I mean, it was great, you know. So, so that to me is the definition of an award, you know. Shooting an elk that goes 340 versus one that goes 350. I don't care. I'm shooting either one of those bulls. Um, but like a kid with a mule deer doe that they shot uh, on their grandpa's ranch, uh, that's special stuff, man. That's really special stuff. Yeah, I thought that was remarkable when I when I read that. I was like, that's so cool, and that's that's what this is all about. And like we talked about earlier, like this is all only going to work if everybody's pulling in the same direction and and that's how you create lifelong supporters and, and allies for this awesome passion, this awesome, crazy passion that we all choose to chase here, which is really cool. So, you know, fantastic work over there, man. That's that's awesome. But, uh, you know, we're rolling up over an hour here, Joe, and I we didn't even – I had number one on my list to define what the Big Ten were, and we didn't even do that. And I didn't even ask you about every single hunt that you were on and I would love to. And, you know, if, if it would be all right with you, if you didn't have a terrible time, we'd love to have you on for a, for a part two sometime where we could actually dive into those, man. Yeah, let's make it happen, man. I got a lot of stories. I got a lot of embarrassing stories and some really good ones. And, and, uh, you know, people can learn from my mistakes anyways, huh? I would love that. That would be fantastic. Uh, we got to talk about the the thoughts behind the ethics, the the spirituality, the you know the relationship with the bow, the reasons behind kind of the why that you get to that you decide to chase all these animals, and I think that's a really important conversation. Cool, man. I had a good time, man. You guys, uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I would love to come back, man. Um, you guys, uh, just just let me know when. I'll be I'll be here. Heck yeah, man. We'll make it happen. Let's go uh let's go around the horn, see if everybody's got any closing thoughts before we jump out of here. Garrett, what you got, man? Man, I uh Joe, I can't thank you enough for coming on and having a chat with us today. I've been looking forward to talking to you ever since your brother's been pretty much just spouting off about you ever since I kind of mentioned this podcast to him. So uh no, it's been it was great to have you come on and chat and um I'd love to take you out and get you a beer or something like that to uh, probably talk about building my own bow coming up here soon because I'm about to ditch the compound, I think, at, uh, at a certain point here and make that move oh, a little traditional myself. So <laughs> I like building bows, man, so let's, let's measure those arms and see what you can shoot. They're <laughs> short, so we won't have to do very much. <laughs> cool. Bobby, what you got, man? Man, I'm just excited. I thought this was really uh, an awesome – uh, time talking with you here, Joe, and you're you're really a remarkable, interesting guy over there that just really has a great passion for the outdoors and a hobby that turned into even more of a passion and the reward that you get when you bring your own bow and harvest your own kill with that bow. I think that's just uh, 
something that we don't see a lot of and on TV and social media. And I think it's fucking phenomenal that we're able to talk with you and uh, really get that information out of you. Cool, man. Thanks. And Joe, what, uh, you know, you got any, uh, got a message for, for our listeners here, go support Colorado bow hunters association. Yeah. Um, Colorado bow hunters, uh, for sure. Um, I, I'm not trying to plug my organization, but, uh, they definitely, I, do, I definitely see what they, they do behind the scenes and, uh, and it's, it's remarkable. Um, it should be appreciated, uh, especially if you hunt in Colorado. Um, you owe a lot to, to the guys you don't know. Um, I guess my message to most people uh, comes down to the animals we hunt. Um, you know, we are uh, we are part time hunters, man. They are full time animals. Um, you know, when we're uh, having drinks at a office Christmas party, um, elk and deer are, are rummaging through the snow, trying to trying to make it through the winter. Um, you know, when we when we seek refuge in our in our homes during a hailstorm or thunderstorm, um, antelope are just laying in the sage getting beat to death you know and uh and the respect for the animals needs to go a long way man it was something that the native americans and and uh our great great grandfathers instilled in their grandsons and i think we should do the same yeah i think that's a beautiful sentiment and an awesome way to end this one man so it's a great call to action for all hunters especially as seasons are really kicking off you know here in the southeast and i know y'all have been in the thick of it in Colorado already with both season, but you know, our rifle season starts in two weeks. So yeah, listeners, you know, take that to heart. And Joe, we appreciate the hell out of uh, you jumping on here. Listeners, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Um, and we will talk to everybody next week.